Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Categorically Romance podcast. My name is Bree, and I am here with Andrea, the host of Shelf Love. <laughs> Andrea, thank you for being here. I wanted to be like, introduce yourself, but like, I'm totally fangirling out. I think me being on your podcast back in like 2019 was my first ever time being on a podcast. So like sitting down with you today is so surreal. So tell my listeners about you. Tell us all about you. <laughs> well, hello. Thank you for having me, Brie. It's wonderful to speak with you one-on-one -on -one again after like three and a half years or something like that. Um, thank you for being the first official guest on my podcast, Shelf Love. Uh, you know, three plus years ago, like you were literally my first guest. So I had, oh <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. I was just, I was just playing it by ear. So uh, it's a pleasure. <laughs> it's a pleasure to speak to you again. Um, so hello, my name is Andrea Martucci. I'm the host of Shelf Love, which is a podcast at this point about romance novels and how they reflect, explore, challenge, and shape desire. It's always been a podcast about romance novels, but you know, I've I've tried different things over the course of time where I used to do more like deep dives into books. And uh, then I started getting a little bit more into um, scholarship, talking to scholars, doing broader investigations of the genre, and still talking about books, of course, because that's what we're here for, romance novels. Well, that was like my big question was like, so... It's so amazing how the podcast has evolved. Like, how did that happen? Was it like, because I mean, you've, this just seems like something you've always been interested in, but like the podcast did start as one thing and it just kind of grew and evolved into something different. So how did that shift happen? That's a great question. Um, how did it happen? Okay. So I think that when you start a podcast or you start anything, you, first of all, I'm a big proponent of just like, if you want to do something, just start doing it. And then you'll figure out what you actually want. You're not going to figure it out unless you just start doing it. Right. You're not going to like think your right. way through it. So I was like, well, I want to like play around with podcasting. Let me try this thing out. And I had this idea. It was going to be this like tightly scripted, not scripted, tightly segmented 30 minute ish podcast, you know, and then I started doing it and I was like, ha 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 you know, like that, <laughs> like, oh, that was a silly idea that, you know, Andrea, who now knows that she has ADHD, thought that she was going to just like stick to a script and not talk for more than five minutes about a, a thing. Right. And so, you know, uh, I don't know, I just started doing it and I was really enjoying having the conversations with people about books. And then after doing that for like, you know, 30, 50, 60 times, I think that it's just like the conversations I wanted to have as the, as the, you know, consistent part of that process was like, that started to evolve where yeah I, you know, it's like, it's like, okay, great. Like I've had a conversation about a book like this. Now I want to kind of talk about five books together or, you know what I mean? Like, start to broaden that out a bit and started getting really curious about what romance scholarship had to say about these things and um, just kind of started my own foray into reading romance scholarship. And then I learned that the best way to understand romance scholarship was just to invite a romance scholar onto the podcast so that they could kind of answer all the questions I had about things. Uh, yeah. And then, so I don't know, I think it's just like really my own journey in 
the, the field where, you know, when I first started the podcast, I think the thing I really wanted was just to talk about books with people because I didn't have people, you know, IRL who I could talk about romance with. So that was, that was kind of like the first thing I needed. And then what I needed and what I kind of wanted to explore, just continue to evolve, you know, and grow. Yeah. Yeah. I have to ask because you are like, your podcast is one of the few podcasts where like, I will re-listen to episodes multiple times or like rewind multiple times. And I'm like, how is she coming up with some of these topics? Like, where is your brain that like you have, like some of these topics even come to you? Is it through your research? Like, oh gosh, a light bulb goes off and you're like, huh, let me jot that down and like invite this person on to come talk about it. Okay. Well, so first I have to ask, like, give me an example of one that you've re-listened to and then, and then I'll think about that particular one. Oh gosh. Okay. One of my favorites and I'm blanking on what the exact title was. I think it was maybe like two years ago, but it was kind of, it was like you did an, an episode on like witchcraft and the professor, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on oh, her name, um, but like I'm on Gillery. Twitter. She's fit. Yes. yes. <laughs> like I was like, Andrea, how did you come up with this? Okay. All right. Okay. So that one, okay. That one's that, and that one's kind of like, maybe like a weirder, like foray, <laughs> I think. So, um, so I had been talking to Dr. Maria de Blasi, who has been on the podcast a few times um, about witchcraft in romance novels. And, you know, in particular, we are focusing on um, romances by Black writers featuring Black characters. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, I I try to kind of pair, like, my own opinions and impressions about books with some research. And so I started just, you know, trying to get beyond the first page of Google results on like, you know, like, like black witchcraft or, you know what I mean? Like whatever the Google search was and um, found Margarita, Dr. Margarita Guillory, who basically studied this. um, And I could not repeat the exact field that she studies. I don't, I want to say like as black esoteric African diaspora, something (laughs) like I I can't remember now, but um, you know, I was like, you know what? I think that just talking to the, the source of the scholarship here would just be a really interesting way to, to talk about this that goes beyond just me being like, well, this is my opinion. This is what I think. Um, And so reached out to her. She was gracious enough to come join the podcast and talk to Maria and I, and then I just think it really made the conversation that Maria and I had about the books richer and just based in, I I think, like expanding out a bit more. So Mm -hmm. yeah, that was, that was that process. But I think a lot of times I, it's like the glacier analogy where what makes it onto the podcast is like the tip of the iceberg. And usually there's like 90% more reading and like just going down rabbit holes of thinking about things and then trying to come out like, okay, well, what's like a topic though? Like, yeah. Yeah. So. It's so crazy how like, I mean, it was really, it was shelf love that really, and I, I think when the podcast, so it started in 2019, I had only been reading romance for two years. So really it was shelf love that like made me think like, how is it that this genre is, means so much to so many people and has been around for so long but people really aren't studying it. Like, and and I just think there's like so many aspects to it. So really, I mean, it was shelf love that I have to like thank for like me 
thinking, I think seeing things and being like, huh, it's going to be interesting to see what people think about this 15 years from now. And if people are studying this part of romance, um, is there anything like, how does it feel for you now? Like the current romance that we're, the romance feels right now, like, what do you think or what do you hope? Or like, what do you see that you're like, I'm interested in seeing where this goes? Like looking at it academically, like it has to mean something bigger. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So interestingly enough, I was just having a conversation this morning with Lee Kramer and Hannah Hart's romance about The Flame and the Flower, which uh, may ring a bell is often spoken of as like the beginning of the modern romance novel as we kind of know it today. Um, It was Mm -hmm. published in 1972. And from the perspective of today, it feels incredibly dated, right? Where it's just like, oh my God, like (laughs) what, what were people into with this? But, you know, but something I think is really interesting is I'm like, I feel like people in 1972 also recognize a lot of the issues with this. And, you know, and, and so like 50 years later, we're kind of like, questioning though like what did people think about at the time and um you know and like so 50 shades of gray is another example of this big cultural phenomenon that you know kind of gets studied retrospectively right um but is also talked about in the moment uh and both of I, i guess like i've read scholarship on on both of those texts there's a lot of scholarship on them the thing i think that's happening today that i think uh, there will be a lot of scholarship around is um, it's not one book necessarily, but I think that dark romance is really interesting. Yes. Yes. But it's so interesting you say that. Cause I had a conversation with a friend recently who grew, who heard foray into romance as a teen was like historicals, mm-hmm. like old historicals and she's like Brie I feel like those were dark romances a lot of the ones that I read as a teenager she's like as a dark romance lover now she's like they feel the exact you know she's like they feel very very similar yeah yeah I personally feel that yes black or dark romance is in my opinion basically just continuing on the trend of a lot of you know things that have been happening in romance for 50 plus years um but I would be fascinated to read uh, scholarship that kind of traces that lineage, you know, because right now I I have feelings, I have a sense, I can kind of anecdotally pull things, pull that thread a bit, but I would greedily read a deep dive on dark romance. And um, I mean, I think that we've also yet to really see a good exploration of kind of the... Um, digital reading for romance where you know honestly I think I've yet to read like a good in general explanation of kind of like how trends have changed with uh e-publishing not to say that there's nothing but um like they've in my opinion tended to be kind of like niche and not really just explaining how it has impacted readers so much or or kind of like what gets published but I mean I kind of was around in romance publishing romance writer spaces when uh, self-publishing started to be a thing it like or started to like be a viable option for authors and there was a lot of interesting conversations going on at that time and um, you know kind of getting the uh, 
insights from the people who were there and what they thought was happening and then having a little bit of time go by to kind of see how things have evolved. I think that'll be really fascinating because it's, you know, I think in a way it has really enabled dark romance as a genre to exist because I don't think you see dark romance as it exists on like Kindle Unlimited uh, coming out from traditional publishers, you know? Right. So yeah. I, I don't know. There's there's so many things where I'm like, please, somebody do the deep dives. Go, <laughs> go interview all of these people. <laughs> Write a book. And with the digital thing too, it's just like we're seeing so many um, like independent authors who these trad publishers are like, oh, let's uh, let's snatch this up and put a new cover on it. And now let's put it out in Barnes and Noble. And it's like, I, I think that that's like a really interesting moment that we're we're kind of in right now. It's like, how does that happen, you know? And like, if an author's like, no thanks, you know, I wonder how often if if that happens. It's it's really interesting. Like, I saw I received an email recently from a publicist, like the Wall of Winnipeg and me. I think that's what it's called, Mariana Zapata. They're traditionally publishing that now. And I'm like, that book came out so long ago. <laughs> but I mean, it's it's like one of her big novels. And it's just like, why why choose that one? And why now? Is it, are people talking about it on TikTok? I haven't personally seen it. I don't know. But like, I, I hope somebody's paying attention. And eventually, yeah, the whole, how digital, the digital moment. Because I feel like so many romance readers read mostly on Kindle anyway. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. Yeah. I, and that too, I mean, that's another fascinating topic, basically how uh, publishers are using self-pub as a way to kind of vet and discover quote unquote authors that then they can put the full brunt of their, their publishing machine behind. I don't quite blame them. It's, it is a, a smart strategy because um, you know, traditional publishers don't have the same data that Amazon has about what's working. You know, I mean, like Amazon's platform, they they know so much about our reading habits and you know how far into a book we read with Kindle Unlimited. That's that's literally the model where they they know what readers want, and that gives them so much power. And the best that trad publishers can do is kind of be like, okay, well, what's selling really well on Amazon? That's a good indicator of what people want. Um, but it, I mean, it's just a very different field and the power yeah. dynamics are very different, right? Because I, I think of Lucy score a lot with this because she was so massively successful doing self-pub and, and now she's also, you know, some of, some of her books or a lot of her books are getting traditional publishing deals but I think she still retains a lot of rights to like, for example, the um, digital versions, or I think that she comes into that in a much stronger position than an author who is unknown and doesn't kind of have a pre-existing audience who kind of has to just say yes to whatever a publisher wants to take in terms of rights. Yeah. So, I mean, I just think she, like I watch what she's doing all the time and I'm just like fascinated at uh, how her career has evolved and how she's been able to kind of leverage traditional publishing while at the same time maintaining freedom. And I mean, she just has a ton of power in that, at that negotiating table. Well, 
I have like two questions that I'm like, okay, I don't know which one to ask first. So I'm going to ask this one and hopefully it'll just lead into the next one. So tell me like your romance origin story. And then I'm going to get into another one of my like favorite kind of series that you've done, but I feel like they may tie in together. So take us back young Andrea. When did you like pick up your first romance and like really fall into the genre? Okay, so I think probably the first romance I read, I was at my aunt's house and there was a romance novel like on the back of the toilet, you know, and um, I I think it was like a zebra romance. It definitely had that um, like holographic little sticker. Oh, and yeah, I think it was pirates or something. It was some sort of like 1990s era full bodice ripper like adventures they're on a ship they're all over painted cover (laughs) oh my god glorious right and I could not tell you what that book was I think that I just tried to read it as much as I could while I was there and then um you know I was a library kid my my parents read but like there were no romance novels in our house and I knew both explicitly and implicitly that it would not be cool for me to be reading romance novels in my household so I was excellent at sneaking them into my house (laughs) like I would uh I would go to the library and get library books I would you know when I got a little bit older so like I probably read the first when I was 12-ish and then Um, you know, had a little bit more independence growing up and, you know, would go to the bookstore and would get a romance novel. And I literally had a secret pocket in my purse where (laughs) it it was like the seam, the lining of the purse where I could, I could go to the bookstore, get a book, put it in there and then come home. Uh, I had authoritarian parents also. So they would like search my bag and stuff, which is uh, depressing. But, um, but I was, I was, I loved them and there was nothing you could do to keep me away from them. Uh, I I ended up volunteering at the Friends of the Library book sale where I would spend hours in this kind of like stinky room with just like books everywhere, books on the floor. And I would sit in the romance section and ostensibly be putting price stickers on the books, but really just be sitting there pouring through the romance novels that were there. So, um, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, and so it started early and... I think that, so that would have been the, you know, late nineties, early two thousands. And so, you know, think about what books would be at a library book sale at that time. Like I really got that education in the 1970s, eighties and nineties romances, and then just kind of kept reading from there. So yeah, that was the start. I swear like romance readers will find a way (laughs) like, oh, my, my purse has this hidden pocket. Here it goes. You know, it's so funny, though, because I think that if it hadn't been so forbidden, I don't know if I would have been as determined. So there is there is a certain element of because I knew it was forbidden, it became even more uh, desirable. And like, I was just a little rebel. And I still am. I was just like, you can't stop me. I'll move hell or high water (laughs) through hell, whatever that saying is like, I'll make it happen. I will find a way, right? Well, so you did some episodes where you, (laughs) I I was like, bless her, because I don't know if I could do this. You read through like some old teen categories. What were they called? I'm thinking Sunfire. Is that what they were called? Oh, Sunfire. What were they called? Yes. Yes. So, okay. Did you read those as, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming probably not like, 
Yeah, they were a How little... was it like reading those as an adult? <laughs> oh my God. Okay. So yeah, so the Sunfire historical romances, I want to say they started being published in 1984 or thereabouts. Mm-hmm. So that would have been, I was born in 1986. So uh, those were a little bit before my time. The The teen romances that I did remember reading were the Avon uh, true romances, or is that what they were called? Mm. They were They were historicals published in the early 2000s and um they were written by uh adult historical romance writers so like beverly jenkins lorraine heath meg cabot who of course also wrote teen stuff um and a few other authors and i do remember reading those and i also loved this uh disaster historical romance series um i can't remember the publisher but there was like one about the hindenburg and the san francisco earthquake and mm. I, I mean, those ones, I was Interesting. Just, oh my God. Those are, I mean, I have those on my shelf. They're amazing. But, um, so I, so I wanted to kind of look at YA romance because I was kind of curious how many romance readers got, became adult romance readers via teen romance. And I mean, like, I think like the YA market is just so different today. It's much more mature. I think like in the eighties, nineties, yeah early 2000s publishers of adult romance were like let's see if we can kind of seed the ground for adult romance or or like I don't know try romance explicitly in these lines for um you know younger readers and it's interesting to me because I don't really feel like you get lines like this today like there's a lot of YA with romance but it's not like this um some of the, I, like it's bar- you can barely get a paperback in YA these days. I know. <laughs> like, it's all like straight to hardcover. I know. Well, I, so reading them, I, they were like hit or miss, like everything, you know, like some of them are hardly readable. Some of them were kind of fun. And then of course, with my adult eyes, I had thoughts, but you know, I was like, <laughs> I was enjoying them, you know? Um, I do find that I think I always, even as a teen, would get frustrated that like the kisses didn't happen as frequently as I wanted or as, you know, or they'd never progressed beyond the kisses. So like my personal time in teen romance, it was like I would read them because I would go to the children's library and they would be there and it'd be the closest to what I wanted. Um, But like I, I basically skipped over teen romance and went straight to adult because like fade to black is not for me. No bedroom scenes, not for me. (laughs) (laughs) yeah I was wondering like when when you introduced the series that you were doing I was like did she have these like did somebody pass them down to her because I was I was born in 86 too so I feel like um I feel like we had I don't really remember it being called YA like I feel like we had Goosebumps Boxcar Children and Babysitter's Club which was already a little bit older than us Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I I don't know, like not too much older. And then I think I'm like, what did I read from like seventh grade on? Because I don't really remember there being books. Tar- I mean, I remember everybody being huge American Girl fans reading those. Mm-hmm. Um, Sweet Valley. But that again, that was like those were books passed down to them. So when you did that, I was like, oh, man, there was like I, I started looking into it. I'm like, wow, there were all these books like teen romance books, but they were like 10 years or not even not like within 10 years earlier than us. Like we Mm -hmm. had just missed the boat. And then I just feel like it was kind of quiet there for a while. 
Yeah. I mean, and I'm by far not an expert, but I do have books on my shelf from around the, like when I was a like teen, preteen. And I feel like what was really big at the time was, you know, I have things like Ella Enchanted and um, just Ella, lots of like fairy tale type books that were slightly more mature than middle grade, I guess. Um, There was Amelia Atwater Rhodes was writing these like vampire books. And what's, you know, what's wild is she was like 16 when she was writing those. So she was basically the age of her readers. (laughs) It was truly wild. But like, I mean, so I remember a few things that I read uh, at the time that were slightly more mature from what, you know, Goosebumps type era or like Babysitter's Club. But yeah, I feel like I skipped really quickly into you know, adult, um, my, so, you know, again, like I, I'm a collector of romance. So I, I have some books from when I actually was a teen, but then, uh, one of my listeners, Jess, who I have had the privilege of becoming friends with, cause she actually lives nearby to me too. Um, since she was a listener of the podcast and then we just became friends. Um, she, she read Sunfire Romances when she was, you know, younger. And they were even a little bit like before her time, but she could find them in used bookstores. And she was like, oh, have you ever read A Sunfire? I was like, no, I've never even heard of them. And so I went on to eBay and I bought a lot of like, this was like for Christmas. I gave myself a gift of Chris- for Christmas of just like buying this like $100 lot of, I don't know, 10 or 13 of these books, just like on a whim. I was like, oh, let yeah. me just... <laughs> Like, oh you know, I, instead, I won't just buy one. Let me buy a lot of them. Yeah. And, um, and I got them and I didn't crack one open, but for some reason had the compulsion to collect all of them. And <laughs> so I literally then like sat down and made like a spreadsheet. I was like, well, now I got to get all of them and came up with like a whole plan to like get the complete set. And only once I had all of them, did I read even one of them? Um, book <laughs> yeah, collecting. That's how our brains work. <laughs> oh my God. It's a sickness, like truly. But, um, and I want to, now I can't remember. I'm literally looking at it. I want to say there's like 36 of them or something like that. Um, so yeah, no, I don't know. The, co- the collector compulsion kind of hit me first. And then I was like, oh, I just invested way too much money in these. I should read one and make some content for my <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm weird. Have you been like randomly collecting anything else? Cause I feel like, um, oh gosh, like I've been, there was this old category series called Kismet. And mm. my only issue is like at this point, like I can never find like the first like one through 50. So now I'm like trying to piece together and get those older, like those are the original, like the first one through 50 or whatever, but it's like duplicates. And I'm like, I don't need uh. three copies of book number 65. <laughs> Oh my God. Okay. So are you trying to collect all of them? Like the full set? I want all, cause I think there was maybe like a hundred and I don't know, 60 or something like nothing crazy. Mm-hmm. And people actually, when I do find the lots on eBay, they're not too expensive, but it's like those earlier ones people are like mm. holding on to. Yeah. I mean, there were definitely with Sunfire, a few that I had to pay a premium for like as one-offs. And I mean, it, it definitely took some like searching and kind of, you know, talking myself into like, it's okay to spend $30 for this book. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, but I, I think 
the fun thing about romance collecting is that it's a relatively cheap hobby for these older yeah. books because a lot of times you can get them for like less than a dollar a book if especially if you get lots and so i mean in terms of other it's it, you want to hey if you want to collect new books you're talking about twenty dollars plus for book per book or um i mean like even paperbacks now are what like eight dollars minimum right oh yeah like yeah. so i think you know used book collecting especially ones that are in the market not valued super highly it's a cheap hobby um but uh yeah so i definitely had to just like bite the bullet and shell out a little bit more for some of them <laughs> but um I, like i i really started collecting adult romance more seriously when uh steve amadown like flagged on twitter that somebody was selling these just like huge lots of older romances and the way i'm the reason i'm saying that kind of like angrily is because i'm just like shaking my fist like why did you do this to me i know <laughs> because because i got anytime he pops up with a new reel i'm like oh god steve yeah. i literally got in the like in the course of like three auctions in one one hour period like 270 romances or something like that <laughs> and and I got them all and I was like okay what do I got and then I and then it was like oh well maybe I should finish this collection or you know and it, it was not good because I just like some of those I'm I was like truly like I have no interest in reading or studying these at all so I'm trying to get choosier about what I collect intentionally and then let go of some of the things where it's like I have like a quarter of a collection and I'm like okay I just need to like sell this because this is taking up space that I could use to finish my Harlequin Blaze collection or yes. oh gosh are you trying to get are you trying to collect all this you know <laughs> I told my husband I wouldn't because <laughs> I want to say there's almost a thousand yeah. And yeah. okay, hold on. I'm going to like turn around and I'm looking at how many I have. I definitely have more than 300 right now. Oh my gosh. And, <laughs> and I've already started to hit where I'll try to get a lot and then like half of them are duplicates. So I'm just like, ugh, it's so annoying. Yeah. Um, so, but I like, so I might need to just force myself to not try to collect them all because I don't need it. I've, I've got more than enough that if I want to dip in and study them and think about them, I have more than enough. I do not need every single one. I'm convincing myself right now. <laughs> <laughs> so like, um, tell so how did you get into category and is like, is blaze your fave or, or do you have a fave? Okay. So I don't, I don't know if I have a fave again. I mean, look, you already know about me. I like the spicy romance, is you it, do, you do. Is it any surprise that I am drawn to Blaze? Um, I, one summer, I, at the summer after my freshman year of college, um, I still had ties to the library book sale. I went in and I think I just got this huge stack of, I think it was Harlequin Blazes. It was either Blaze or Desire, but I do remember them being really sexy. So I think they must've been Blaze. And, um, and so this, hold on, if I was in, wait, a, okay, if I was in college, this had It could to have be, been Temptation, were they red? I think they were red, but wait, so this was like 2006 was, mm -hmm. um, hold on. Blaze, Blaze, I literally had to pull a book off my shelf. Blaze started in 2001 or earlier. Yeah. So it, it might've been, it might've been Blaze, right? Okay. Or I, I don't know. I think it was red. So I got, I had a whole bunch and like the one routine I had that summer, I was like working at H&M 
and like none of my friends were around. So I would like go to the gym and like go on the elliptical and like go to work. And that was kind of like all I did. And every time I would go to the gym, I would take a book and I would just like read the whole book. (laughs) Like, uh, like that's what I did all summer. And it was just so, it was like the one routine I had, it was so comforting. I never had to worry about like running out of things to read at the gym because like I don't love the gym you know I talk myself into the gym or like I like personally like I take a walk every morning and I love walking but basically the way I get myself to put on my shoes and get out the door is I'm like I can listen to a podcast so right yeah I need something to just kind of like get me to do the thing and then I'm fine doing the thing and the the category romances that summer were my thing and then it's like I went back to school in the fall and I don't think I read another one for a long time. Um, it's just, it's just, isn't it weird? I mean, you and I are probably just so invested in reading romance now. It's hard to remember a time when it was just this small part of your life that you didn't think too much yeah. about. Yeah. But so that was probably like my first hardcore introduction to category. And then, um, and then really, I think I've only come back to it fairly recently, um, dipping into some of these older lines like um I do one line I find really fascinating is the second chance at love series which Mm. have you heard of that one I've heard of it but I haven't read anything yet from it okay so it's I have a very small collection of that like only like 30 of them and and what's interesting is so they're like I, I could not tell you exactly what year but like mid 80s let's say And at the time, like a lot of category, it was still very much like, you know, the ingenue virgin heroine, you know, and um, still very like young heroines, especially. And this line is interesting because a lot of the heroines are older and by older, sometimes like 28, but sometimes, you know, like in their (laughs) 30s and, and even older. And it's like either they're, they're very the use of second chance is interesting because it's sometimes a second chance romance. Like this couple got divorced and now they're trying again, or they broke up in the past and are getting back together. And sometimes it's a second chance as in like this person had one relationship before this. And now like they're, they are getting a second chance at love with a different person, which, mm, okay. which is just <laughs> such a dated understanding of what yeah. that means. Like, ah, she's used goods, but we'll give her another shot. Um, so I just, I find it interesting in the context of the time, like the experiment that they were trying, uh, it's, and you know, so they're like a little bit older, a little bit more established, a little bit more independent, uh, heroines, but again, like with everything, they're hit or miss. Like ones, yeah. one, I'm like, oh, this could be written today, and then I'll read another one, and can you're like, oh, yeah, like I can't get past like the first couple pages. Yeah, yeah. I I think that's why I was excited. So like we we read Kiss together, and mm-hmm. I was like, I can't wait to get your thoughts on Kiss because I feel like with like this new line that's coming out. You hear like little bits and pieces about it. Like we haven't heard much about it, but I'm like, it feels like the combination of a little bit of blaze, a little bit of kiss, some temptation, some dare. And it's like, what is it actually going to be? So had you like, had you heard of kiss prior to this? Like, had you read anything? Okay. So I think I'm trying to think why I even 
came across Kiss, I might have seen you post about it. And then I got curious and I bought a few books because that's like, if, that's, what if, we do. that's what we do. I see somebody talk about something. I'm like, I've never heard of that before. Let me just immediately go to like Abe books or eBay and buy a few just so that I have them on my shelf the next time I get curious about this. So I think that intentionally I got number one because I wanted to see like, I was like, well, if I eventually create a collection of this, I'm going to want like the first couple books. The first one. Yeah. So I I got the like early ones. And actually for today's conversation, I did read literally number one. Um, yeah. So I had never read them and I don't remember them from the time they were coming out, but I had a few on my shelf. And what I think is interesting about this line is it's it does seem to be like this weird middle ground where they're they seem to be trying to go for the kind of chick lit rom-com thing. Yeah. Like, oh, it's like lighthearted and the covers are definitely shooting for that. And there's and I think there's like a a mix of uh kind of spice level, right? Like this one was kind of fadish to black, but like oh, there was like a little bit of explicit sex and then kind of a little bit more euphemistic, I guess. Um, but it's hard to kind of pin down what this line is. And mm-hmm. uh, it didn't last very long. No. Yeah, like a year. I think um, Yeah, 2013 to 2014. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, oh my God, I'm looking at the price on this. It was $2.60. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> but this is from 2013. That seems low. Yeah. Oh, maybe. <clears throat> I wonder if it's because... Oh, it's because it's the intro one. So then if I look at um, number 10, it's $5. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So it must have just been okay. the like, like get them on the hook. Um, but yeah, no, I, I like I was a full adult in 2013 and I never saw these. Um, what about you? How did you come upon it? I don't remember how I came. I, again, I was not reading romance when these were coming out. So I was like 2017 when I picked up my first one. I think I discovered Kiss just, I, I think there's a blog out there. There's a blog out there. I'll have to find it and link it in the show notes. But they did like a whole thing on old category lines that are gone. And I think it was there that I discovered it. And so, of course, I went to Fiction Database. And just from like chatting with the authors and stuff, like I've heard authors that are like, oh, yeah, I wrote for Kiss back in the day. Um, I know overseas it was it was called Reva in some places. And for a while it was... Um, presents extra like overseas they would like I think in the UK especially like they would um they didn't even they kind of just did it as an extra presents because they wouldn't sell as kiss if they weren't if they didn't market it as that um so even I guess over here some of the earlier ones I mean I I I have a physical copy of the Kelly Hunter that you read I haven't read it yet but like I was told like if you can't find a bunch of kiss on eBay you might have to look at it like search for presents extra because that's how some of them were sold um but yeah like I I I I always wonder like how they sold over here um because I I I don't know I think that but I I think like my theory is whenever (laughs) these books were obviously like kind of written for like early to mid 20, I think year old women. And I really think that there is still kind of like an age demographic with category that is older than that Mm. and probably didn't want to read that. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I mean, definitely when I read the descriptions, because I haven't read deeply in this, but when I read the descriptions, they definitely feel like that era's rom-com movies 
you know, mm-hmm. like how to lose a guy in 10 days and, you know, that feel. And I was, the reason I wanted to talk about Kiss, because you, you suggested like, you know, do you want to talk about this or this? I thought it would be interesting to read because I was like, well, I would have been around the age of these characters when they were coming out. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, in fact, I was like married in 2013, but like, <laughs> but I got married a little bit young, but like, I thought it would be interesting. And you know, what's another interesting thing I find about these is they're all sort of written in like British English with, um, you know, like the quotations are like a single, a single curly thing instead of a double on, on the quotes and stuff. There's, it definitely feels very like British influence. And also, interestingly, the one I read is actually, um, the one I read actually took place in Australia. Mm, yeah. So, yeah, okay. I don't want to say that like Americans can't handle that, but it does make it also feel like a little bit even more removed from my experience. Mm. I don't know. Okay. So tell, cause yeah, cause mine, I read a Joss Wood and she's a South African author and it's set in South Africa. So that, that makes a lot of sense. I need to actually look and see if there were, how many American authors there were. Cause the other two that I read a couple months ago were by Allie Blake, who's also an Australian author. So I'm like, how many, were there any American writers that actually wrote for the line? It would be interesting to see, but that could definitely be a reason why maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I, I do know that the acquiring editor was based in England. Uh, I found an old article that told me that. But mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I, I think if I had to guess why this line didn't quite take off, I think there was a mismatch. If the one, if the N equals one of my experience with this is accurate, I think there was a mismatch between how it was marketed and what was actually found inside because the descriptions and the covers definitely give me that like lighthearted, bright, colorful, sexy, you know, whatever. But then, and like, you know, a little bit of an adventure, but very much like young people being young, like having sexy dating adventures. And then the one I read was honestly, it was a really good book. I immediately went and bought more Kelly Hunter books afterwards, <laughs> actually. Because that's what we do. <laughs> exactly. I like looked at my shelf. I was like, do I have any other Kelly Hunter Harlequin kisses or by any other lines? Um, and I couldn't find any. So I bought um, I bought some ebooks. But um, I really liked the book, but it didn't match at all the vibe I was getting from the cover. Or I mean, I think the way the line is described, I can't even remember how they described the line, but like, Oh, oh, it's a little bit closer to like the alpha male thing. I think they were like yeah. trying to kind of get on that bandwagon, but like it's not that. It's not fun flirty. Like the one I read was kind of angsty and um they were they were I think a little bit more mature than I was expecting. Like I didn't think that was a bad thing. I actually really enjoyed it maybe because of that, but I was expecting younger characters. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, these feel like, um, these feel like, <laughs> they feel like, because you know, it presents, it's all like the alpha, this, the home of the alpha hero. Kiss kind of feels like your presents hero before like his daddy issues really kick in. Oh my god! It's like, they're striving to be like these alpha males, but we're not quite there yet. Um, okay, so tell me about the book, because I haven't read that one yet. Okay, so the one that got away by Kelly Hunter 
So this is number one, published in February 2013. And interestingly, the back cover is wrong. Like, <laughs> it's presented as the man who's always left her wanting more. Good job, <laughs> tick. Newly purchased apartment, tick. Evie's life is on a pretty even keel at the moment. The only thing missing, a man with an edge to keep things interesting. Enter Logan Black. Tortured, distant, and sexy, Logan has edge written all over him. He's also the man who tipped Evie over the edge a few years back. She gave him everything, but he didn't know when to stop taking. Leaving Logan was the hardest thing Evie's ever done, until now. Because Logan's back, the chemistry is as blistering as ever, and, the t and this time, he's not going anywhere. And that presents what happens in this book almost like a mirror image at every point. Like, first of all... <laughs> she like good job tick she like owns a company with logan's brother not that she knows that he's logan's brother uh newly purchased apartment tick she has owned her apartment for six years at this point <laughs> <laughs> like what and then <clears throat> the way logan is presented as like he's like this edgy bad boy but in the book he's literally like a billionaire or like multimillionaire who is this in-demand consultant owns this company that like multinational company that I don't know does like real estate investing or something it doesn't even matter like I was like I was expecting a guy on like a motorcycle with like a leather jacket <laughs> and then um the whole thing about like he kept taking and didn't know when to stop taking he's the one who is like ruthlessly holding himself in and doesn't want to take too much so leaves her and like mm. the dynamics are just presented again just like totally opposite from the story um but so I thought what was really interesting about this is it starts with her business partner uh being like we should get married in a fake relationship so that I can get access to my trust fund to benefit our company and she's like okay sure goes back to his mom's house and they're like going to have an engagement party and they're still going to pretend like they're in love. That goes downhill real fast because his <laughs> half brother shows up, Logan, and immediately Logan is like, you have to get away from here. I'm going to pay you off to get away from here. And she's like, no, I have a backbone now. <laughs> and literally like in the space of this afternoon, like the, the engagement is off immediately. Um, they're like talking about their failed relationship, like which basically was just like a week long sex orgy um, with some like light BDSM 10 years prior it, that Logan and the heroine. Uh, oh my God. What's her name? Evie had with his mother and her <laughs> business partner, ex-fiance, his half brother. <laughs> and like Logan storms off and the mother's like, you should go follow him. And then they end up having sex like immediately and like have sex in the shower and then have to go to this like fake engagement part like it's so not what i was expecting <laughs> it's going on right <laughs> and and it was really interesting like there was this very interesting idea running throughout where like his father was abusive and um you know abused his mother and abused him and he's interested in having sort of like rough dominant sex with the heroine. Mm. But his like big fear is that he will actually hurt her and like not know when to stop and, you know, that he won't be able to contain it or something. 
which is interesting. Um, yeah. And like basically the entire time Evie's like, I'm not worried at all. And like, they're just, they just have this like very delicate sort of like giving each other space as they live in completely different continents for half of it. Um, and then make it work. But like, I, like, I don't know how to explain it. I really enjoyed it, but it was not at all what I was expecting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I read, like I said, I read, um, I read a Joss Wood. So it's called, if you can't stand the heat and it's literally the cover is a girl on the counter with the guy standing up next to her. And I actually, now that I think about it, I'm like, I don't really remember any steamy scenes, but maybe I forgot, but this is the 30th book in the series. um, And it is set in South Africa, pretty near Cape town. And so the heroine is, is Ellie. And then we have Jack who is the hero and how their paths cross, which is really interesting because Ellie's dad is a war reporter. And so she has daddy issues because he was always like, I'm going to take the assignment over being a dad basically. But I guess he has this tendency, this history of like, if any of his colleagues need a place to stay kind of volunteering his daughter's house as an Airbnb. And I'm just like, my dad would never volunteer like (laughs) my place that I live in for like random men he works with, but whatevs. Um, So Jack has recently been on assignment in Somalia and has been beaten up pretty bad. And so her dad's like, Oh, go stay with, uh, you can stay with my daughter at her place. So he shows up. Um, I mean, she's like, whatever, like, I can see you're pretty banged up. You can stay here kind of thing. So it's interesting because I feel like I read a lot of category where there's already some built in chemistry. Like I've read a lot of like second chance or childhood friends to lovers or whatever. It's like, it's been a while since I feel like I've read one where they don't know each other. So I, I feel like in a lot of ways, it's you try to do a lot of front loading, but it still makes it just a little slow almost in the beginning. So it, it took me a while to like get into it. Um, but once we get into the story, it's like Jack is this, he had a heart transplant at 17 and obviously like the donor w- died. And so he lives with that survivor's guilt. And I really like appreciated kind of like how Joss would delved into that. He just kind of like is I don't want to be tied to, t- tied down to one place. I want to live my life. I want to do all the things that I want to do because he will never get the chance to do that cuz he he died and I'm here. Um and then of course with with Ellie, it's like she she kind of just bitches and bitches about her dad and then <laughs> it's like oh, he boy. shows up and all is forgiven and I'm like you've complained the whole time about him, but whatever. Um and she also just has this I think with her character arc it was kind of showing that she has maybe unknowingly allowed a lot of the people in her life to kind of walk all over her like at the very beginning her best friend has had a baby and has done like her maternity leave and but asks you know can I be off for like another month Ellie owns a bakery and she's like my mom is literally like on a year-long vacation I'm running this by myself I need your help but also like you just had a kid so Okay, got it. And it's like, no, girl, she has, to, she has to learn, like, you either show up back to work or you don't. Like, I know we're best friends, but I will have to fire you. Like, I have a business to run. Um, so, I, I mean, it was interesting to see that. But she's also just, like, really kind of passive at the same time. Um, but, I mean, the romance, the romance was fine. Like, I, I, it was like, it wasn't a new favorite kiss. <laughs> I was like, oh, man, I don't know. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer. But um, I do just, I think 
I enjoy reading these because I'm like, I don't know. Sometimes you read these and you see things in these as a category line that I'm like, I don't think I, I would have seen this anywhere else, which is interesting because the line has been over with now for so long. But I do think some of these books just touched on things that, you know, I you don't see in category anymore or sometimes even in romance. So, um, yeah. I thought it was, you know, it was fun. <laughs> it was fun. I love the South African setting. That is, and, and Joss would have like living there. She really just, I, I don't know, you feel like you're there. You feel totally immersed. And it's it's a nice escape from like North America, I mm -hmm. feel like. So yeah, it was good. It was good. Yeah. So do you think you'll read more? Okay. That's a very good question. Um, do you know what I found? I really dithered over which book to read for a long time where, you know, I literally have like 30 of them and I went through every single one, read the back covers, kind of flipped through them. And there were a few I like that looked promising. And then I flipped through them and I was like, Ugh, like, no, I don't want to do that. Um, yeah. <laughs> but there was like one where I was flipping through and she was like ashamed to introduce him to her family. And it was sort of a misunderstanding, but it was definitely one of those, like, he wasn't good enough for that family type of thing like he was like up a lower class and that was definitely part of why she didn't want to introduce him and I was like ew no like yeah like yeah gross um like about like I was like I can't get behind a heroine who's like that stop and so there were a few things like that where I was just like oh oh no and then this one <clears throat> I think eventually I was just like you know what no I'm just gonna read number one and I started at the beginning and I think I was a little bit worried that I wasn't going to get into it but I got pulled in and I mean I read the whole thing just like in three hours on my couch like in one sitting like which it's not often that I do that with a book these days and it I guess I started thinking I was like I wonder how much of this has to do with like I, I think I overthink the investment I'm going to make by starting a book and I try to use all these other things to decide if I want to read it or not like you know, have I heard of the author? And I hadn't heard of a lot of these authors because I mean, I'm mm -hmm. not the deepest into category romance. Um, and like, I know names here or there, but um, I don't know all of them. And, or, or like I read the back of the book or I flipped through to a random page and I was using that as sort of like a, am I going to like this and really overthinking it? And I just had to like immerse myself in the experience. And as soon as I was immersed and transported, I was into it. And so <laughs> <laughs> like, so, which is just to say that I think that I have to, like, I think I have to, like, let go of the idea that I can understand if I'm going to like a book before I start reading it. Yeah, and I feel you. Yeah. Just, like, start one. And then if I don't like it, I don't like it. But it's so hard to tell from all the other things beforehand. Well, I want to ask you one more thing before I let you, before we get off here. What, like... What what's the response been like do you hear from your listeners like you know are there topics that you've covered that people were like oh wow I never would have thought of like how hearing like hearing that conversation I never would have thought of that as being a topic to cover uh like one of my another one of my faves you did an episode I think your guest was from like Australia and you talked about soap operas and I'm like I love this because, I mean, I remember growing up as a kid and spending time with my nan and like her watching Young and the Restless. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so brilliant, Andrea. <laughs> so, like, 
what's the like what's you know do you, do people reach out to you do you feel like there are specific episodes that are just like people's faves like what's the response been okay so the episode that you're talking about was this very short-lived series called tell me about Tell I, me about, yeah. yeah. It was with that was with Dr. Jody McAllister, who is a romance scholar. Um, she's actually the vice president of the International Association for the Study of Popular oh, Romance. Um, she also is a fiction writer. Um, she writes like rom-coms, and and some of them actually are um like she's also really into reality shows. Uh so they take place on kind of these like rea- reality show sets, um, which is super fun. Um, and, and yeah, she's also a a romance scholar and really into soap operas. Um, you know, what's interesting is the reason that was kind of a short lived series was what I was playing around with was how romantic love shows up in different media. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And very quickly it occurred to me and I, I would, let me just say like, those were maybe not the most popular episodes, Okay. Um, and I was like, okay, what I quickly realized was that different genres, different mediums are just like so different and they, it's kind of like unfair to look at them through the eyes of like the requirements of a romance novel. Like, okay. like yeah. for example, like soap operas don't end. So you can't, they don't ha- end. Yeah. you can't have a happily ever after it, like they never end. Um, which is, so they need to like have the drama and they need to like always they get together, they break up, you know, like all this stuff. Um, and I was like, you know, I, I'm actually not interested in studying romantic love more broadly. Like I, I really am actually just fascinated by romance novels. So it kind of clarified things like that for me, but I, I do think also like the, maybe like the listener feedback I got from that was like, this is deviating from the thing I know how to do. And the thing that like I'm really here for. And I think a lot of other people are here for. Um, I, okay. I think probably like what I get the most um, feedback on where people are just like, Oh my God, like, thank you for putting into words. Like what I, what I kind of felt or thought about, but like, wasn't able to articulate or, you know, you articulated it really clearly. Like that was really helpful to hear other people like know that other people are thinking about this and here you have a conversation about it is I, I think it tends to be those like bigger picture genre discussions, like pulling together things across books, maybe across subgenres, or, um, you know, picking up on kind of those like the, the bigger picture trends and making sense out of them. Because I think, I think romance readers, like, even if, even if they truly are just reading to enjoy it, like they have thoughts about how it's impacting them and how the texts are not directly speaking to each other, but like building something in the reader's mind. So like the texts are kind of speaking together in the reader's mind. I think that like romance readers love to think about that and are maybe also always trying to like optimize, like, what do I enjoy? What do I not enjoy in the things that I'm reading, which requires a certain amount of like parsing oh, I just read a book. What did I actually enjoy about this? And like, oh, I just mm-hmm. read two books in a row that did this and I didn't like it. Let me try to put my finger on what that was. Or, oh my God, this reminds me of a book I read 30 years ago or, you know, whatever the case is. So I, I guess like that feels like the thing that people are the most vocal about kind of, you know, like, oh my gosh, thank you. <laughs> you know? <Yeah. laughs> and, and and I think those also tend to be the ones where like, um, 
I don't want to say this is like my brand, but my brand's like, look, I love romance novels. I have been reading them for a really long time. I'm really endlessly fascinated by them, but I don't think they're like perfect. And, yeah, yeah. and you know, I think that there's a way to kind of enjoy the genre as a whole and enjoy individual books and, you know, be critical of the genre and be critical of books and be critical of authors sometimes. And that doesn't diminish my love for the genre. And I, I'm not trying to diminish anyone else's love for the genre. I just don't think it's personally very honest to love something uncritically because how can you love something if you refuse to kind of accept what it is fully? Okay. Promise this is the last thing. <laughs> the one, another fave was the fairy tale retelling episode that you did. Cause I was like, Oh man, that is retail fairy tale retellings are so huge and like Harlequin presents. I just loved that whole conversation, like the whole point of fairy tales and you know, oral storytelling was to kind of keep the stories going. And I'm like, I see them so much now that I'm a romance reader. Mm. Like you see authors and their depictions and whatever of these tales like all the time. <laughs> Yeah. And so that was, okay. So other, uh, two other Australian guests. Um, so, so there was the one about, um, Cinderella and Beauty and the Beast. And that was with, um, uh, oh my gosh, um, Pod Culture Oz, Philippa and, um, Renee Dahlia, who's a romance writer and Philippa, Philippa Borland from Pod Culture Oz were my guests. And, um, we talked about Cinderella and Beauty and the Beast and kind of like the Disneyfication, but then also, you know, how different romance novels have explored the ideas. Um, and, you know, also around that time, did you also listen to the one with um, Dr. Nicola Welsh-Burke around, um, it was like Teen Werewolves and Red Riding Hood? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, and she's also Because Red, Red Riding Hood is my favorite fairy tale retelling. It's yeah. my fave. It's they're great. And and so I think there's like, I mean, there's so much to say. For some reason, the Australians have so much to say too about um, you know, how fairy tales have kind of influenced our ideas of romance. And like why romance writers love to play with fairy tale tropes. Like I was talking earlier about all the teen romances I read that were basically like Cinderella retellings. Mm -hmm. Um there's so I that's I mean there is so much to say about that but I think does it kind of feel like fairy the fairy tale part of it in a way like it's kind of become a, a trope because <laughs> it's like you know what to expect like if, if I say oh it's a beauty and the beast retelling mm -hmm. you just kind of already know the potential beats it's gonna hit like does it feel like that yes. what that's what it's becoming for you well you know what's interesting is I feel like and this is a criticism of it is that so many people like borrow certain high level beats, but they kind of like forgot the purpose of those beats. Like, mm -hmm. like they kind of borrow the most obvious parts of it, but have, but that doesn't align with the part that makes the story interesting, like to me or to most people. Right. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, and like Disney, Disney versions, of fairy tales also do that. They oftentimes completely miss the point of the original tale for lots of reasons, but I, I don't know. I mean, and obviously there's a spectrum. Like I do think that 
it has become shorthand and it's like a really good like series unifier you know like like oh hey i'm gonna like pitch a fairy tale retelling series uh series or like linked books right and like this one's red riding hood and this one's beauty and the beast and you know um i understand how it's kind of marketable but I would love to see authors do more interesting things rather than just kind of like gesture at the fairy tale. Uh, Like what is beastliness? You know, like there are so many beauty and the beast retellings where they're just like, and the beast is a scarred or disfigured or like, you know, is mean. (laughs) Um, And like, there's a lot of like ableism in those tropes uh that is like harmful there's definitely like lookism there's there's all sorts of weird things going on there and i'm like there are so many more interesting things you can do with the idea of beastliness you know yeah yeah or beauty right because i mean i think the literalness of the beauty in those stories like also literal you know like she's beautiful cool can we do more like do more yeah these stories have been around for a really long time like let's continue to think about what makes them relevant or how this applies to our lives today and the purpose of those fairy tales initially were to kind of make you think about something (laughs) and I mean like maybe not always like make you think about something that like that interesting usually it was like really makes you think you should pray more (laughs) you know yeah um there's, I mean, I was reading yeah. one, I, I read an article that like Beauty and the Beast, I think in, I think in France somewhere, I could be totally wrong, but like mm-hmm. their adaptation of it was to prepare girls for arranged marriage. And I'm like, oh, you would, I would never pick up on that with a lot of the Beauty and the Beast retellings I read today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Around that time, I, I definitely like read a lot about, you know, like where, where do these come from and what was kind of the initial lesson you were supposed to learn because um fairy tales often had this really clear didacticism to them um there was this great podcast that i listened to it's it's kind of defunct now but i think it was called roots of lore and um the podcaster would dive into a different fairy tale story in each one and i mean she she interviewed um, folklorists, if that's the official name for those people, and um, and really kind of like got into like what was the lesson supposed to be, and like what are the different versions of it, and what do people think it meant at the time, and and that's fascinating. Like I would love to see people do more with like looking at the original fairy tale and then thinking right, about yeah. like like how is how does that translate today? Not let me watch, you know, Disney's Beauty and the Beast and then just kind of like lightly riff on it and basically just like make it slightly more romancy or, you know, slightly mess- less problematic in the ways that stand out. Um, and, and that's, and like, you know, it's funny because I said that and then like there are two Beauty and the Beast retellings that I love that are very directly influenced by Disney's Beauty and the Beast, not the original uh tales so I mean like I'm not it's not to say I don't enjoy those but I also crave 
different things. Yeah. Because, I mean, Disney's version is someone's interpretation, you know? It's yeah. like, okay, guys, let's let's dig a little bit deeper here and go a little bit further back. Right. Um, oh, gosh. let's Because they're so fun. They are really fun. I mean, it is what it is. And they're, they're weird. They're super yeah. weird. <laughs> like, and it doesn't matter if your readers understand all of the references. Like, you don't have to reference those things necessarily. But I think the weirdness definitely could inspire authors to do some interesting things. Yeah. Let's get weird. <laughs> Let's get weirder. You know, okay, this is la and last thing, sorry. Something I will say is I do think that we as readers reading in 2023, especially, you know, people who haven't read deeper back in, you know, older romances, romance has been deeply weird. Like I think romance, I don't want to say romance isn't deeply weird now. I think a lot of traditionally published stuff is getting way less weird than it used to be. And oh yeah. It feels really like not weird at all. Not exactly. Exactly. It's like a little sanitized. Like romance traditionally has been very, very weird and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But like the one thing I ask is like, can we just get like, a little bit weirder and more experimental and less like this is what works and this is what doesn't like let's be real we do not know what works and what doesn't work just because somebody even if somebody did something like it before like if it didn't work before it doesn't mean that the weird part is the thing that didn't work like I just I just want people to be weirder I want my book I want the books like the way this book surprised me where I was just like I'm sorry why is the mother and like the like work <laughs> partner and ex like why are they sitting at the table talking about this but like that made it so fun you know yeah yeah <laughs> well tell everybody where they could and should be keeping up with you online okay well so the first thing uh if you are a podcast listener and you might be based on the fact that you are listening to this podcast you should check out shelf love that's two words shelf space love uh, on your favorite preferred podcast app. You can find lots of information on shelflovepodcast.com. I have transcripts for all of my episodes also. So if you prefer to read podcasts instead of listen, you should go there. And um, lately I've also been doing writing on Substack. At I love your Substack. Yes. Thank you. Um, it's uh, shelflovepodcast.substack.com. Uh, i I've started this series of um, kind of like if you're a romance reader and you're curious about romance scholarship, kind of like where to start and I'll get progressively deeper into things, but just starting that series. Um, yeah, I think it's, that's another part of the evolution of the podcast is, you know, I love having conversations with people, but at a certain point I started to have ideas that I wanted to develop kind of on my own. <laughs> and yeah. um, so I was like, okay, well, I don't want to like, go so serious and just do jump straight to journal articles. Like I, there's like a journal article I'll probably try to finish writing at some point. Um, I just wanted a place to ex expound on an idea a little bit more than, you know, than what I could do in the podcast. Cause I feel weird just talking to myself on the podcast and I do it sometimes, but I, I like to bounce ideas off people, you know, like if I'm going to talk, <laughs> um, well, Sorry, I mean, I, I was like, I was thinking, I'm like, well, I've loved you. I, you've done a couple like solo shows and I'm like, they were so fun, but I can totally imagine myself trying to sit here and talk to myself and it being 
so awkward. Like, thank God for the power of editing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, either, either I script it out entirely if I do it myself, where I'm basically reading something I've written, or the other thing I'll do is I will talk and just like sometimes I'll, I'll like I'll say something and then I'll just like sit there for like two minutes of dead air while I think <laughs> of it. or I or I say a bunch of things and then I'm like that's garbage and you know it, yeah I mean thank God for editing indeed I don't I don't do well without without another person on completely unscripted so yeah you know having having a Substack where I can kind of like place those things I think has been really helpful. Well, I will have links to all of it. Listeners, y'all have to check out. If you are not listening to Shelf Love, you absolutely should. And you have to subscribe to Andrea's um, Substack. It's it's so good. And she has links to like all the books that she references so and articles. So you won't be left hanging. It's so good. I love links. Yeah, yeah. You, got, you always got to <laughs> cite your sources, you know? Like, you, you know that. You like... You- 